make a good offer, we get in a contract, now all this money that they're trying to raise it, they don't have any access to the money, and then end up walking away, and then sometimes they, they want to fight to get their earnest money back, even though they had it tied up for a couple months. Real quick, before the episode, I want to give you a gift of 25% off, and that gift actually is from TransUnion Smart Move. Go to tenantscreening.com, create a free account, enter the code FAIRLESS at checkout for 25% off your next screening. Because as landlords, we tend to be most concerned with getting paid on time. You might also know that hundreds of thousands of landlords have to deal with the headaches of evicting tenants each year. Evicting a tenant can be painful, costing as much as $10,000 in court costs and legal fees, and take as long as four weeks to complete. What if there's a trusted way to help prevent the headaches of dealing with evicting a tenant? Make the smart move right from the start. Smart Move's online tenant screening solution can help you quickly understand if you're getting a reliable tenant, which will help you avoid potential problems such as non-payment and evictions. For a limited time, listeners of this podcast are invited to try Smart Move tenant screening for 25% off. Here's how Smart Move can help you find your next great tenant. Make a more informed decision with Smart Move's proprietary credit score built specifically for tenant screening, which predicts evictions 15% better than a typical credit score. Reduce non-payment risk with Smart Move's Income Insights Report, which enables you to analyze the applicant's income within minutes and determine if additional income verification is needed. Get critical information quickly with a full credit report, criminal background, and eviction history report. With over 5 million screenings completed, SmartMove can help you make a better leasing decision for your rental property. If you own a rental property, SmartMove can help you identify the right renter from the start so you can avoid the problems of non-payment or evictions. Don't put yourself at risk. Go to tenantscreening.com, create a free account, enter the code FAIRLESS at checkout for 25% off your next screening. With TransUnion Smart Move, you'll get great reports, great convenience, great tenants. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. With us today, Gaston Turan. How you doing, Gaston? Good. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. And we are in Cincinnati, Ohio at the best ever meetup. His website is bestevercincy.com. If you want to come check out, hang out with us, we've got visitors from, usually we have them from all over the surrounding states. We do it the last Tuesday of every month, and we are going to be talking to Gaston today. He is a real estate investor based in Cincinnati, Ohio. He's the president of GT Apartments. He's got 240 units, and these 240 units are his 240 units. He has not syndicated. He has not raised any money. These are his 240 units that he's built this portfolio from zero. He started building his multifamily portfolio while working full-time as a corporate controller, left the accounting world to be a full-time real estate investor, and we're going to get into it right now. So with that being said, Gaston, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your focus? Sure. The bread and butter of how my business works has not changed. What we do is we buy distressed multifamily, preferably large in bad neighborhoods and we go in usually the occupancy low there's tons of deferred maintenance we go in we fix them up both inside and outside we get the occupancy up we raise rents increase the value and then hold long term and then also there is usually a cash out refi component to it which then funds future purchases you buy in bad neighborhoods that's the opposite of the advice i typically read in books (laughs) by the worst property in the best neighborhood. So why do you do that? 
Well, I would buy a distressed property in a nice neighborhood, but usually distressed properties are in bad neighborhoods. Got it. Okay. So you got 240 units now. Let's do a timeline sure. and the progression from zero to 240 as medium level as we can. Mm-hmm. So first property was what? It was a four family in 2007. You brought a spreadsheet. I did because there's a lot that. of numbers nice. here. And you right. like to I'm, talk about numbers. I, so I want to be right. ready. Good. Okay. So first property was what? A four family in 2007. And I held that. I didn't think much of it. I wasn't going to go into real estate. It was just an investment to park my money. And I really got more serious with it in 2013 when I bought an 18 unit. Okay. And on that one, I will note that as we were trying to raise the funds, I had a hell of a time trying to raise the funds. The banks wouldn't talk to me. Finally, I did get my mom in as a minority investor for the first two deals. But since then, it's been me 100%. Got it. All right. So before we jump into the 18 unit, 2007 to 2013, you did not purchase anything. Right. 2010 through 12, in hindsight, was a pretty good time to purchase. So what were you doing at that point? Was the 2007 purchase that was bought at the top of the market and you were underwater? No, I'm pretty cheap. And in the accounting world, I always was saving money. So I wanted to invest. I didn't know what I wanted to invest it in. Did the four family, did stocks, was kind of lingering around, seeing, figuring out how I want to invest my money. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you were figuring it out. What ultimately led you in the direction of, okay, I want to go larger? After some time, I realized that four family, if I scaled up, could make some good money. So I started looking a little bit more seriously. And I said, if the numbers are right, this can be really lucrative. So that's when I started seriously looking. And what did you do? Did you act on that thought with the four family? Well, this is while I was owning the four family. I was looking then. This would be in 2012-13. Got it. Okay. So then you purchased the 18 unit. How did you find the 18 unit? It was on MLS. And are you a real estate agent? I'm not. So did you work with one to find it for you? No, I found it on one of the listings, contacted the realtor, and then went from there. So do you have access to MLS as a non-real estate agent? Yeah, just the websites, a different realtor website. Got it, got it, got it. Okay, so a broker had it, they were marketing it, yes. and you reached out to the broker, yep. and then what? Well, I'd saved up quite a bit. I probably had 60% mm-hmm. of the money to buy it, and I thought, surely a bank is going to put up half. We put in half, you put in half, it's safe for the bank. I couldn't get a bank to look at it. That property was in rough shape. Not terrible, but it was in rough shape. It was probably 60% economic occupancy. So those numbers hurt, and I didn't really have a track record at the time. So I was really getting nowhere with the banks. And for anyone who's not aware of economic versus physical occupancy, will you explain the difference? Sure. Well, it had physical occupancy, 90-something percent, meaning, say, 90% were occupied, but a lot of those people weren't paying. So roughly 60% were paying. The four unit that you bought, was it fully occupied? Yes. Okay. So you went from a fully occupied four unit and then an 18 unit that you're looking at, 60% economic occupancy in a rough area? Yes. What areas, for people familiar with Cincinnati? Price Hill. Price Hill. So an 18 unit... 
that is 60% occupied, economic occupancy, mm-hmm. 90% plus physical, which means you're going to have to boot a bunch of people most you likely. Boot a lot of people. Boot a lot of people. So you're undertaking a major project. Mm-hmm. Did you know going into it, having not purchased a property of this size, what you were getting into? Yeah, you can imagine. I haven't gone through it. With the four family, I have done enough maintenance where I had kind of taught myself. And so I was more comfortable with that. I was a little less comfortable with evictions since I've only done one or two at that point. But I was ready for it, and I went for it. So how much was the total purchase price first? How much was that? It was one ninety, one hundred ninety thousand. One hundred ninety thousand. It was a steal. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> when you said one nine, I was thinking one point nine. Okay, one hundred ninety thousand dollars, which still would have been completely in the opposite direction. I'm crazy. Okay, so one hundred ninety thousand mm-hmm. dollars. So they're giving it away essentially. You have sixty percent saved up, mm-hmm. and your mom ended up loaning you the remaining forty percent to buy it all cash. Yes, got yeah. it. Then what? You closed on it. Now what? Closed on it, and we went right to work with the evictions, the deferred maintenance, and slowly. I mean, because of my lack of experience, some of the incoming people weren't the greatest either. But slowly but surely, we improved, and now it's great. Because of your lack of experience, what aspect of it, if you presented something similar in the future, what would you do differently? You can't be a landlord with a heart. When people give excuses, even if they're good, they could be crying, whatever. As an experienced landlord, you can't do that. Everything's got to be black and white. If they're late, they're late. See you later. Now it's too soft there. Okay. I imagine collecting rent was challenging in a tough area that's a hard part of it usually so what was your approach for collecting rent just to be on top of it and that makes a big difference sometimes property managers get into trouble because they try to do everything remotely especially when they're not familiar with the tenant base Mm -hmm. and really I was very hands-on I was there all the time working on it got to know the tenants and that really helped me will you Find that a little bit more on being on top of it. Like, if I'm a tenant, how am I most likely going to pay you my rent? At that time, I was accepting money order or cash in person. I don't do that anymore, but that's how I did it. But by saying on top of it, meaning by the 7th, if you haven't paid, I'm knocking on your door or, or soon after giving you eviction notice. So I'm on top of it. I'm not letting it go till the 12th or something of the month. What's a story of, and I don't know if there is one, but I imagine there is one. What's a story of a challenging time when you were knocking on the door on the 7th for rent and you got a less than warm response? Usually you didn't get that. Usually it's a lot of excuses. Come back tomorrow or I'll pay you on Friday and that sort of thing. Usually they're kind of weaseling out of it. You usually don't get the sharp response for a rent collection. Okay. How much in total did you put into that property? 20000 20000 Yeah. That's it? Yep. The reason is because there wasn't major, the roof was good, there was a lot of bathroom, plumbing, that kind of thing, and I did it all myself, so I'm not counting any labor, and that, mm-hmm. that always plays a big part of it. I mean, just the unit turns, I usually have a calculator in front of me, mm-hmm. but I don't right now. When, the unit turns alone have to be a couple thousand, and you evicted a lot of people, mm-hmm. right? And I mean, labor aside, just yeah. like the materials and stuff. Yeah. So when you do a unit turn, a lot of the cost is in flooring. So always, always, I try to harden 
the apartments by having something hard on the floor. That one had the benefit of being hardwood floor. And fortunately, there wasn't a lot of ruined floors. They didn't have quite the luster, but they were still something where you could just clean, mop, move on to the next one. Nowadays, we do as much as possible real ceramic tile. Looks good. It's durable. You mop it and you go. I hate paying for carpet. Carpet gets expensive, especially when you have high turnover. And in bad neighborhoods, you tend to have higher turnover. And then do you do anything for the second and third floor units due to noise factor with that type of flooring? No. No complaints? No, not really. Sleeping is common area or bedrooms all have that type of flooring? Anywhere have carpet? Some just we haven't gotten around to switching them. Sometimes if I'll get in a bind, I'll just begrudgingly go carpet just because it's fast. Yeah. Like that. Next day, carpet's in. So all in, $210,000. Yep. Did you refinance that one? Yep. And what was the refinance valuation? That was, 360 was the appraisal. This was several years ago. You still have it? I do have it. Okay. The cash out, it wasn't an ideal. Usually I tried to get 75% of the appraisal value, cash out minus what's owed on it. Mm-hmm. This one, in the end, it was only a 50%, but I still got 180 out. I almost got all my money back. And what's the economic occupancy today? 100%. 100%. You're collecting 100% of the yes. rents every yes. month? And they're good people, good family people. They're none of those drug deals that used to go on. Huh. Even though the surrounding neighborhood's bad, the people in there are great. And tips for someone who's buying in that type of area to get 100% economic occupancy? Well, the most important thing is you have to find who the troublemakers are. If you're working there, you'll kind of see it. Find out who your best tenants are, just kind of by observation, by talking to them. Get friendly with them. If they get comfortable with you and they know that you won't say, hey, so-and-so told me that so-and-so, they're going to write out who the troublemakers are, and you make sure you get those troublemakers out of there because that's the first thing you need to do. What's the second? Then the second most important would be, of course, rents. Yep. Collecting money, important. Yeah, and check out people who are not. Who yes. Are the habitual liars or people that want to keep delaying. What's the third? I guess it would be related to maintenance. Okay. You, know, you really need a decent looking building. You can't have work orders, laps, that kind of thing. What's your time frame for getting the work orders? Depends what it is. But generally, if it's an emergency, it, it would be. We don't come out in the middle of the night unless it, we say flood or fire. Otherwise, it's next day. Mm-hmm. But just something typical might be a week. Mm-hmm. You know what it is. Um, what's a typical maintenance request? A drain is slow. Maybe cockroaches. It does depend. Because right. sometimes if we're there, we'll do it there. Got it. We don't want it to go. So you self-manage, right? I used to. You used to during the 18-unit days. Yes. You were self-managing. Yes. Is there a way to the best of your ability to answer this question? to implement step one of that process when you hire a property management company? Well, you hope that the property management company knows and will do it. I would suggest if if you do that, depending where you live, but check up on the place often. Mm -hmm. And when you say often, how often were you there? I was there probably four days a week. And you had a full-time job at the time? I mean, not four full days, but after work, I'd go over there. Got yes, it. I have a full-time account. Got it. All right. So 18 unit, bought it for all-in, 210, a reappraisal for 360, yep. 360, and then what'd you do after that? 
The next property was in 2015, so two years later, was a 24 unit. Same neighborhood. Okay. Numbers? The cost was 325000 and that required no rehab. That would had about 85% economic occupancy. Mm-hmm. It did not need much at all. Why were they, they selling? I don't know. He was out of state. I don't know why he was selling. Okay. And then what did you get a refinance on that? No. No? Did not. Okay. And is it because there wasn't a value-add component so it wouldn't be as friendly of a refi? I probably will get a cash-out refi on that one, mm-hmm. but I have not. Okay. Anything interesting to note on that deal? It's become kind of a, a high-demand area, so uh, I always get calls. People want to buy and I get no What's the area? It's also Price Hill. Okay. But that specific area. Okay. Got it. And what about the next one? The next one was a 56 unit. Five months later, this was probably my biggest home run. This was a 56 unit for 400000 <laughs> How did you finance the one right before, and then we'll talk oh, okay. about the yes. O property? Yes. Uh, the, the, <laughs> the 24 unit was a traditional bank financing. Okay. So Since that, that was in good shape, yeah, the yeah. bank then should listen to then me. Then they'll do it, yes. of course. And um, what bank did you use? U.S. Bank. Okay. And do you remember the terms? U.S. Bank, they have incredible terms, but they're scared of their own shadow. So if you have good property, I would suggest them. But if you have any problems, any defects, they're going to run away. The interest rate was about three and a half. It was a great interest rate. And were you under contract in any of your properties in your portfolio with U.S. Bank and then they backed out? Yes, one time. Tell us that story, and then we'll get to the O-Face property. Okay. I was under contract. I talked to them. They said they were interested. They ordered the appraisal. Three or four weeks later, they really let it wait. Um, they said, you know, the P&L is negative. We're going to back out. But fortunately, another bank stepped in and financed it. Got it. What was your thought process as a real estate investor, entrepreneur, when I was surprised. And this is later on, but that was a hell of a deal. I had experience, money, credit, everything. I thought for sure this would go, and it didn't. 56 unit, purchased it for $400,000, right? 56 unit? 56 unit. Purchased for 400000 What can you tell us about the business plan? That required a more intense rehab. It was five buildings. Four <coughs> of the five roofs were leaking. It was half empty. It's basically half of the units were down maintenance-wise. Wow. Please continue. So by this time, I had some employees. These were kind of low-cost employees, but we got the job done. And that was about a $100,000 rehab. $100,000 rehab to rehab approximately 25 to 27 units from not habitable to yes. habitable. Yes. So is that a 2,500 unit? Did I do that math right? Uh, about 2000 2000 a unit? Yeah. Tell us more about what you had to do per unit, how much each of the things was, just to elaborate more. Okay. The electrical was in good shape. We didn't have to touch the electrical. Plumbing, it's not major main drain type of plumbing, but just the fixtures, the P-traps, those little dinky things here and there. What's a P-trap? Under your sink, it catches water, it goes down. Those things, they're pretty simple. They're just $4 at the store. It costs, but just labor. Got it. Okay, so you put in $100,000, you bought it for four hundred, so all in, half a million. Yep. And you have refinanced this one? I did do a over cash what, refinance. Over what period of time from when you bought it to when you did the refinance? About 
15 months. 15 months, okay. That was just a little, a little over a year. And how did you know the work that needed to be done in order to increase the value? Were you thinking about it that way? No. I was thinking about the line of this fool, and then we need to get it nice enough where we can raise the rent. Okay. I mean, this is a tougher neighborhood, so we're not going to go real fancy with it. But we want it to be nice. So usually, if you're just thinking that way, get the rents up, the value comes with it. Mm-hmm. And how far away? For anyone not from Cincinnati, is Westwood from Price? Four or five miles. And how far away do you live from these two properties? Four or five miles. Okay, so it was rather convenient for you to get to both of them. And were you still in a renovation process with any of your other properties when you purchased this Westwood one? No. Okay, so you were fully dedicated to this, but did you have your full-time job? Yes. How many hours a week were you working? Full-time. 40 hours a week, what? At least. At least, what were your hours? Eight to five? Yeah, eight to five. Okay, you go into an office? Yep. So you're going to an office. Mm-hmm. How long was your commute? Short, maybe 20 minutes each okay, way. Okay, so 20 minutes each way, mm-hmm. plus you're working eight to five, mm-hmm. and you have a property that is half occupied, mm-hmm. or half vacant, I yep. should say. Mm-hmm. Think about it that way. And it's you, and who else helping um, you? We had about, I'd say, three guys that used to help me, mostly on the weekends. Okay, and how did you find those guys? One was a tenant, and the other were two of his buddies, basically. And how were you dividing and conquering the responsibilities? We were working together. These are not guys that you can pretty much leave alone and say, take care of the whole building. So I had to work with them side by side. Had some frustrating things, but we got the job done at a low cost. And what was an example of a frustrating thing? I had to show them how to do everything pretty much. (laughs) Okay. I mean, they learned along the way, yeah. but coming in, they had low experience. Got it. All right. So, fifteen months later, yes. all in five hundred. Yes. What did it appraise for? One point one two million. Wow. One point one two million, mm-hmm. and you're all in at five hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. And how much were you able to get out of that? So, to acquire the property, this was another one where I went to the banks, and they were not hearing it. They did not want to. I had good percentage of the down payment, but the banks wanted nothing to do with it. I went the hard money route. Mm. So I did that, 12% interest. So when I did the refi, we had to pay back the hard money lender, which was fine. That worked out. So if you do the appraisal value times 75% minus what I owed the hard money lender, I got a check for $795,000. Wow. So the 100000 that you put into it, was the hard money person's money? No, that was... Some rents, some savings. Okay, got it, got it. Some so all, money on the side. all in, you probably had around 50, 60K at most of your own money in it, not factoring in the money from the rent? I would say that's about right, yeah. And you got a check for how much? $795,000. $795,000 in 15 months. Yes, so that was my biggest home run. <laughs> that's great, mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> Netting $730,000 in 15 months. And it's a refinance, so it's not taxed, right? Because it's your money. Right. So then what'd you do with that seven hundred and ninety-five but you know, netting seven thirty? So that funded future acquisitions. Okay, and when was that refinance? That would have been at the end of two thousand sixteen. Okay. Two thousand sixteen at the end, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, okay. Now what'd you do with that money? So the next purchase was a 44 unit in, well, it's just outside Price Hill. Mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. I call it price sale, but technically it's not. That was a 44 unit for 595000 How'd you finance it? Traditional bank. Okay. And how did you find it? MLS. Well, I take that back. No, it wasn't. It was a broker who had not put it on the MLS, but it was a broker I was familiar with who was the broker on the previous deal, on the 24 unit. So he's familiar with it. Right. Okay. So he was not actively marketing the deal. He was marketing to his email list. To his email list. Okay. So he was promoting it, and then he reached out to you. And what do you think you saw with that deal that others didn't or others weren't willing to pay the price that you paid? It had some deferred maintenance. It wasn't terrible, but it had some deferred maintenance. It's kind of a rougher neighborhood, kind of. It's kind of a rough area, but it's in a dead end, so you don't have a lot of the neighborhood problems in the dead end, so it's good in that way. When you're driving in an area that is rough, is there anything that you see that would deter you from investing in the area? Or are you just like, doesn't matter the area, if it's a good deal, I'll, I'll invest there? If the maintenance is just terrible, like you can see in the window and see the sky because part of the roof is missing, that kind of deters me a little bit. Why? I would still consider that, su- it, that surprises me because well, it's a major value add deal. Yeah, but you have several factors. One is the city. The city is condemned that they they sometimes they're determined to knock it down. They want permits and they want to redo all the electrical and the plumbing and all that. So it can be done, but it, the, the cost is going to go higher. So. That's about the property, but I was asking about the area. So what about the area? Is there anything that through research or through word of mouth that is just like, you know what, I've done some rough stuff, but I'm not going to go there? It all factors in. I probably would go anywhere, but if it's a hotbed for shootings or that sort of thing, or if it's a high congregation area, like, for example, there's an apartment building. And a quickie shop right next door, you don't want that. No. Because in the quickie shop, everybody's going to loiter, and you have no control over that. And they're going to keep loitering. Mm -hmm. If they're all loitering in your target apartment building, that's a good thing. You can kick them all out. Mm -hmm. You control that part. Do you have security at your apartment? So how do you kick them out? I do. (laughs) You do it. You have to be careful, but yes, we do. Got it. Okay. So that property parlayed into what? What was the next one? So the 44 unit was one acquisition, 2017. 2017, by the way, was awesome. Then on the same day, I purchased a 13 unit in Dayton. This was a good deal too. Smaller, but a good deal. $90,000. It's a 12 unit and a house. Okay. Not vacant. What's the business plan? That was for far away. The others were five or six miles, whatever. This was an hour's drive away. What brought the value of that down was there was a vacant house next door, a big vacant house with boarded up windows. And that's always going to drive the price down. So my little trick there was I said I have to knock that house down. And I want to be able to be sure I can knock that house down before I bid on this. Because no one really wants to live next to come out of their door and they see a big vacant house, boarded up windows and all the trouble that those kind of buildings bring. So it's a long story, but basically I got in touch with some old guys that owned it, and because of how it was set up, I couldn't buy it, but I said, okay, how about I just knock it down, and it'll lower your taxes. They were behind on taxes anyway, and they shouldn't go in. I don't care. So we knocked it down. You get a written agreement for that before you do? Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> so now you knock it down. Is there anything at all there? Did you plant a garden? It's a beautiful or? yard. No, beautiful we didn't yard. plant. Yeah, but it's just a beautiful straight lawn. Yeah. Now they have a backyard. So you were under contract with the other property. This was all quick, but basically, I got into agreement with them before I put the final offer. Okay. Or I think it was during the inspection period. I think. So how long did it take you? You said it's a long story. We don't have to go into it all. But how long did it take you from initially seeing the boarded up house to actually it being bulldozed? Well, the agreement was within two weeks. Probably uh, a month later, it was bulldozed. So you, you have were, to do certain things with the permit process right. to get it. But you were able to track the people down who own the house and yes. have that conversation. Yes. And I'm the person who owns the house. How did that conversation go? Well, I said, notice that it's kind of abandoned, and I was wondering if you'd sell it. They said, sure. They weren't even really about the money. The city was kind of after them because they weren't really cutting the grass. They weren't paying the taxes. They really wanted to get rid of it. And I was willing to pay them some money for it. Where'd you uh, from? Well, we didn't even really get to that because it was a partnership, mm -hmm. and a lot of those partners were deceased. So it was going to go through a probate thing. I don't even understand all the details, but it was going to be hell. So it was a lot easier to just get the written permission to knock it down. Okay, got it. What's the next deal? Another smaller one. This is a six unit for ninety thousand. We can skip past that. Okay. And then the next one is a bigger deal. This is a 63 unit for 700,000. 63 unit for 700,000. Okay, so now you're relative to what you've usually purchased at, you're purchasing at a higher per unit basis, slightly. I believe, I mean, I don't have my 11, calculator. 11 per door. Right, relative to what you used to purchase at. So what's the business plan there? And is that in a similar area? It's in the city of Hamilton, maybe 45-minute drive away, something like that. It's a beautiful building. It's actually my favorite building. Why? It's large. It's a historic building. It's beautiful architecture. That's where we have our rental office. The units look great. It was in good shape. It did not have a lot of deferred maintenance. I got lucky on that and did you refinance it? Yes. And what did it refinance um, at? It, it, it appraised lower a lot. This was a recent. It appraised a lot lower than I expected. It appraised for $1.1 minus the mortgage that we had on there. Give us a cash out refi check of 349000 Over what period of time? Maybe a year and a half. Got it. Any other large ones? No. No? Okay. So your model... It's pretty straightforward. You go in, you buy in challenging areas, yep. you are really hands-on, yep. and then renovating the units, increasing the value, focused primarily on just getting them renovated and leased up to high-quality residents, mm -hmm. and then you refinance the cash out. Mm -hmm. yep. Pre pretty straightforward. Yep. Last question I'm going to ask you, the question I ask everyone. You said you used to not have a management company, but now you do. It's an employee. That's it's an employee. Yes. Okay, so you have your own it's internal but management I company. I personally don't do it anymore. Okay. What are some things that you made sure to train that person on that perhaps would not be typical based on your experience or maybe might just be something that would be interesting for the listeners? I can't think of any. I mean, normally it just follows the rules of property management. I don't know that there's too many things. I mean, there's a lot of integration with us. Sometimes they can wear different hats where maybe a separate property management company may not get into, but more or less it's a vanilla position. 
I don't think they would agree with that. <laughs> I'm just, my, just my gut. I don't know this person. But they wouldn't call it a vanilla position. <laughs> All right. What's your best real estate investing advice ever? I would say have integrity. I don't know what is with real estate, but real estate is a magnet for people who are pretenders and scammers. And You see it with gurus who prey on these newbies, for example. They'll have a session for $50 and people attend, and all it is is a sales pitch for the next level, which is 1000 which is the next level for 20000 So that kind of disgusting. And wholesalers, not all wholesalers, some have sold wholesalers have integrity. They announce themselves as wholesalers, but other guys are always deceiving people. I hate that. And then the other one is I've had people want to buy these apartment buildings, pretend they have the money, make a good offer. We get in a contract. Now all this money that they're trying to raise it, they don't have any access to the money and then end up walking away. And then sometimes they, they want to fight to get their earnest money back, even though they had it tied up for a couple months. Mm-hmm. So all that, I really suggest anyone getting into business, perform with integrity. On the last point, did they pass their deadline so then their earnest money was non-refundable? Yeah, they, they definitely So did, when the dust settled, did you end up keeping it? It depends on which one. But yes, on the most recent, I kept it. On the other one, they fought. Sometimes it just doesn't make sense because of the legal stuff. You just keep your earnest money. We're doing lightning round. You ready for the best ever yes. lightning round? Yes. All right. A first quick word from our best ever partners. If you own a rental property, TransUnion Smart Move can help you identify the right renter from the start so you can avoid the problems of non-payment or evictions. Don't put yourself at risk. Go to tenantscreening.com, create a free account, enter the code FAIRLESS at checkout for 25% off your next screening. With TransUnion Smart Move, you'll get great reports, great convenience, great tenants. When it's Friday at 4.30 p.m., it's time for Entrepreneur Drinks Podcast, which is co-produced by Joint Ops Properties and Discount Property Investors. Join their end-of-the-work-week session as they tackle problems facing entrepreneurs. Listen and subscribe at entrepreneurdrinks.com. That's entrepreneurdrinks.com. Best ever book you've recently read? I read Moby Dick in 11th grade, and I didn't finish it, so I'm... Is that the most recent book you read? That's the most recent. <laughs> Student of experience. No, I do read. Uh, I listen to podcasts. I'm on the internet learning constantly, bigger pockets, that sort of thing. Just books aren't for me. Best way to learn how to renovate a unit? To learn how to yeah. renovate? Yeah, learn about the process. If you're going to learn it yourself... There is so much online. YouTube, there are guys that put these videos up, and many of them are great. I've learned a lot of things by using YouTube. Best ever clauses you have in a purchase contract whenever you're buying a distressed property. If you have that in your sheet, I'll be shocked. You know, I actually have... I'm just giving you questions that are coming up. I have four keys to find good deals. Okay, let's hear them. Let's hear them. (laughs) Okay, number one, have cash or financing ready. I have lost a couple deals and they kill me inside even though they're old. That I did not have the cash or the financing ready and I lost it. So that's the first thing. Number two is just as far as finding the deals, follow up on leads and listings consistently. You can't just look at it and forget it for two weeks. You have to consistently do it. I don't do it every day, but I do it pretty often. Do you have an example of when you did not get the deal, but then you followed up and then you got it? Yeah, the 18 unit was one where I was going through the banks. I thought I was going to lose it. And then it came through with a partner that had the money. Number three, this is a little different than most people do it. I do 90% of my due diligence before I make an offer. 
And by that I mean I have enough experience hands-on that I can go into a building and pretty much know what needs to be done in the building. And that's mainly my main due diligence that I do. Of course, we want to look at title. We want to look at all those other things. But the majority of my due diligence I do before the offer. And if I can't get in, I can still offer, but it's going to discount the offer. Well, that's number four. Make a calculated offer. Include all the different factors. Neighborhood. If there's something that you can't get into, still make an offer, but it's going to be discounted. I've got a property. I tell my broker, have any prospective buyer submit their offer, and then I'll release the financials. It's dumb, but people do that. How would you approach discounting your offer for my property? I care about rent rolls, and I don't really care about P&Ls. Because P&Ls, when you have experience, you can kind of figure it out. You know what it will insure for, more or less. You know what the water and the electricity... Once you have the rent roll, you know what everything else is. So really, what I need is the rent roll. And even if you don't give it to me, if I'm doing a tour, I can ask the tenants. So that's really how I the information I need. And the rent roll shows the potential income, but the P&L will show the actual income, right? Yeah, what I want to know is where are the rents. And, well, I would like to know who's paying, but really, how full is it? Got it. Okay, interesting. Best ever way like to give back to the community? I like to uh, help folks who are newer. So I attend many meetups every month some in Dayton and that's one of my favorite things to do and how can the best ever listeners learn more about what you got going on if you have any questions or want to follow some of what we're doing email me it'll be the, the best way okay you want to give out the email sure gturan so g-t-e-r-a-n at yahoo.com enjoyed our conversation Gusto and impressive stuff congrats and now we'll open it up to questions from the best ever listeners or people here hanging out I got two book ones and a main water one. Is most of your debt recourse or non-recourse? And we repeat the questions. Yes. Gentleman asked if that is recourse or non-recourse. All of it is recourse. What's your average per square foot rent across your portfolio? If you can know that off the top of your head. In general, rents for a one-bedroom, let's say 440, with maybe 460 square foot. Something like that. And then we have efficiencies in two bedrooms. Cool. And then last bigger question was, obviously you are pretty key to your operation and your business plan. You put a lot of your own time and heart and soul into it. Do you see your business model changing as you have to start hiring employees to grow? Yes. The question was basically... What, as far as scaling and an employee count, what the plans are. Right now, I have three rehab. I count myself as a rehab. So really, there's four rehab guys. There are two full-time maintenance guys and one full-time property manager. And basically, I want to grow that in all instances. The rehab crew, I want to grow. And I want the property manager to be fully independent. I hate when I have to get into the property management side. I really like doing more of the rehab and the acquisition side. Thanks. Mm-hmm. You mentioned uh, you try to make your apartments nice, but not too nice. What what can I expect if I walk into your apartment? Like, what would it look like? And what are things maybe you don't do or you do do because of the area? Mm-hmm. So my favorite floor is, like I said, the, the ceramic tile floor, usually all over. 
And then for vanities, that's a good way of, vanities get beat up. Bathroom vanity will often leak and people don't tell you about it, that sort of thing, or get kicked or whatever. So I would usually go like a Lowe's and just get one that's $120, looks new, it's not fancy at all, but it's solid, the door works right. So I'll spend some money there. And the faucets, that kind of thing. A couple of questions. You have one person you're calling property manager for 240 units. What are that one person's responsibilities for 240 units? Okay. I should ask that. What, <laughs> what are the responsibilities for the property manager given the number of units that we have? So lease up is a leasing agent is a big part of his job. The other is receiving maintenance calls. I would like in the future to kind of split that up, but right now he is receiving the maintenance calls. He doesn't do any maintenance. He just puts it online on our, we use rent manager. He'll put it on there and then the maintenance guys will see it go and then clear it once they're done. He'll have some other duties, like if there's like some bills that need to be managed or that kind of thing. If there's a dumpster issue or, you know, that kind of thing. And then move outs and evictions. Eviction, my wife is an attorney, so she does our evictions. So the property manager will do the eviction notices. Right now we're kind of alternating. Sometimes I'll go to court, sometimes he'll go to court. Okay, and then you said you use a management software called Rent Manager. Yes. What does that do for you? Rent Manager is the company's LCS. They're based in Cincinnati. They're our database. So we put all our tenant information in the system. We run our pay, uh, rent payments through there. So it can tell us quickly who's delinquent, who's not. It can run our financials. All the P&Ls that then feed our taxes are done there. We recently implemented electronic pay. So now tenants have another option besides mailing a money order. Now they can pay with credit card. ACH, or they can go, I think, to Walmart and pay cash, which surprisingly a lot of people like to do. What type of compensation does a property manager in that position get? 40000 Is there a key to find the tenants for the neighborhoods? What's the key to finding tenants in uh, rougher neighborhoods? Yes. When I talk to a tenant... I'm always listening, and I'll shut up and let them talk, and after they're done talking, I'll be quiet, and they hate the uncomfortable silence, and they'll keep talking. And here's what I'm listening for. If they say things like, oh, I'm working a temp job, you don't want that. They say, I'm in between jobs, you don't want that. If they're talking about anything like family drama, anything like that, you don't want any of that. If they're lying, sometimes they'll say something, oh, I haven't had an eviction in 10 years, and then you go... You double-check on the clerk of court's website. You see the eviction, boom, they're lying. And then the other is they're rushing to move in. Oh, I need it by tomorrow. That's a red flag. You really want people to put the deposit down and move in in three weeks. That's how it's supposed to be done. And even in rough neighborhoods, people will do that. But if, they, if it's a hurry, you got to ask questions. Something's a little off there, usually. Do you have any other screening processes that you employ? As far as screening, we do not do a credit check. I can't base this on facts, but I assume that a lot of the credit scores we would see would be pretty low. What we do check is criminal and eviction. And, of course, we want to verify that there is income, whether it's something like Social Security or a job. They provide check stubs or pay stubs. We want to see that. Any income-to-rent ratio that you look for? 
the property manager has that. Usually it's not as strict as some have it, but uh, I forget what ratio he is. My employees collaborate on creating your property management company. At what point did you hire your first employee? How many units did you have? At what point did you hire a second one? How did you find your property manager superstar? I hired my property manager way too late. I was near mental breakdown at that point when I hired <laughs> So it was that day where I bought the 44 unit and the 13 unit, and we already had 100 so units, and I was still working full time. Well, I know at that point I was decreasing from five days a week to one day a week in the county world. But yeah, I probably should have done it a little earlier. So to answer your question, I'm a little crazy, but I personally can do 100 units with the stuff. But once you cross 100 units, you really need a property manager. How'd you find them? That one, I think the first guy was Craigslist. I think, but now I use normally Indeed. Section 8, I haven't heard you mention Section 8. Are you using Section 8 to affordable housing? The question was if we use Section 8, rarely. We used to have across the portfolio maybe seven Section 8. They've gotten tougher as far as maintenance requirements. For example, one that kept bugging me was some of our parking lots, especially Cincinnati is very hilly. Some of the parking lots have some areas where they're a little rough, and they started being very picky about that. And um, I didn't think it was worth to repave in order to get some Section 8 tenants in. So we've kind of dialed that down. I think we're down to one Section 8 tenant. And people say it's guaranteed rent. Well, not really, because even if Section 8 pays three-fourths, you still have to chase down the one-fourth that the tenant owes. So it's it's not really guaranteed. What's your current occupancy we have about 12 vacancies, or just a little over 90%, I'd say. So you've turned down a lot of potential tenants. Has anyone ever pulled, you know, you discriminated against something, against them for some reason? Not really. You have to be really careful about that. How do you avoid that? Usually, if you give them a direct answer and you say, look, you had a, whatever, a misdemeanor or a, or a felony, X number of years ago, we don't accept that, I'm sorry. And they move on. You know, if you're vague or if you're mean to them, you know, you're not helping yourself. Any other questions? Last two. Yes, sir. All right. Why do you choose to keep property management internal instead of hiring a a property management company to do? That's a good question. It's something that I've kind of wrestled with. I think the main would be repairs. I do like keeping repairs in-house. I do like having some control over that. I always have feared, I've never used a property management company, I've always feared that if they start managing the repairs, they might take advantage of getting their money, not through the rent collection, but through the repair process. I always wanted to avoid some of that. Okay. Last one. For your step number three, you talk about estimating costs in your head. I'm assuming that came through experience. What did you do in the beginning? Um, so you really, really be fortunate that Say that again, I'm sorry. Apps to estimate written costs, anything you use in particular other than your experience in your head? Now, no. It's Before. it's on my head. Other than maybe a roof. Once you know the square footage, you can multiply and figure out what a new rubber roof would cost. Before, I had to do some research, maybe talk to someone that might be more experienced in a certain thing. But, yeah, I mean, now it's, yeah, I mean, you have to write it down. You can't remember it all. But you write everything down, you multiply, you kind of get a feel 
for everything. You look at the wiring, you look at the, the plumbing, that sort of thing. You look at the foundation, you want to look at all the corners, make sure you don't have corner settling. The roofs, if there's wet mud on the ceiling, you have to wonder what it's in. <laughs> cool. Hey, thanks a lot. When it's Friday at 4.30 p.m., it's time for Entrepreneur Drinks Podcast, which is co-produced by Joint Ops Properties and Discount Property Investors. Join their end-of-the-work-week session as they tackle problems facing entrepreneurs. Listen and subscribe at entrepreneurdrinks.com. That's entrepreneurdrinks.com.